So the reading is from Luke 1, verses 26 to 56. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and we will call the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. 
He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thanks very much, Megan, for reading for us. Friends, there is an outline of this morning's message on your printed order of service. It'd be great if you had a Bible open with you as well to follow along. Now, because we're coming to God's word now, let me pray, and then we will ask his help to understand it. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you that in the Bible we get to know you. Help us to hear your voice now, to fill us with wonder and joy at what you did that first Christmas. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is Christmas Day. We've just read part of the Christmas story that Luke records in his gospel. Earlier we read from Matthew's gospel as well. Now, you might be glad to know I'm not going to talk about everything that Megan just read for us. Um, Instead, the part of the reading I'd really like to focus on this morning is those nine verses from verse 46 to 55, a part of the Bible that's often known as the Magnificat. Now, that's not a sequel to a classic Disney movie, but it is a song. And the gospel writer, Luke, he actually records a number of spontaneous songs in the Christmas story, and this is one of them. The longer reading we had explains the backstory to Elizabeth's song, uh, to Mary's song, rather, and tells us how her cousin Elizabeth also breaks out into song when Mary comes to visit. Who knew that Luke's Christmas story was a musical? But the word Magnificat actually comes from a very old translation of the Bible, where the Bible was translated in Latin, and it's the Latin word for to magnify. Magnify, of course, means to focus on something and make it bigger. If I take a magnifying glass and I look through it, any of the kids got a magnifying glass at home? Yep, a few of us, yep, a few kids do have a magnifying glass. You look through a magnifying glass and it makes what I'm looking at, it makes it much bigger, but it also fills my vision with whatever I'm looking at. And that's kind of what Mary's doing here when she says, I want to magnify the Lord. She wants God to become bigger and fill everyone's vision. Some Bibles rightly have the word glorify. She wants to glorify God. So in the song, Mary tells us right up front what she's focusing on and wanting to make bigger. Verse 46 says, my soul magnifies the Lord. She wants to make a big deal about who God is and what he's done on that very first Christmas. And the thing, the theme, the big thing that God has done that Mary wants to magnify is God's mercy. Because if there's one big idea in this whole song, it's that the arrival of Jesus Christ that very first Christmas was an act of God's greatest mercy towards us. Actual words used twice in verse 50 and 54, but it's the theme that runs all the way through the nine verses of this song. Now, I looked up the word mercy in my dictionary, and this is what it said. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or to harm. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone 
whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Well, let me tell you a story about this kind of mercy. Now, you might have seen the movie or, I guess, the more recent TV series or even seen the stage play of Les Miserables, the famous Victor Hugo story. Uh, I got to see it a number of years ago in London on the West End stage. It was incredible. Seeing the movie, seeing the series, love the story. And after the main character, a guy called Jean Valjean, is famously played by Hugh Jackman in the movie, um, after he's released from 19 years in prison, Valjean finds it very difficult to integrate back into society. Uh, he's learned just to be a convict. And he's actually got to carry around a little yellow passbook with him that lets everyone know he's an ex-con. And no one wants anything to do with him. And eventually, he discovers the kindness of a bishop in a little country town. And the bishop takes him in. He feeds him. The bishop gives him a place to sleep, treats him like a human being. But in the night, Valjean impulsively steals the bishop's silver candlesticks and runs away. Of course, the police soon catch him and bring him back to the church so the bishop can say, yes, this is the man who stole my candlesticks. But the bishop surprises everyone. He tells the police that he gave Valjean the candlesticks as a gift. What are the police doing arresting this man? And he spares Valjean a return to prison or worse. And reflecting on the bishop's mercy, Valjean later says, take an eye for an eye, turn your heart into stone. This is all I've lived for. All I have known, one word from the bishop and I'd be back beneath the lash upon the rack. Instead, he offers me my freedom. Completely within the bishop's power to say, yes, this is the thief. Instead, the bishop says, my friend, your candlesticks. Don't forget them, take them with you. They're a gift from me. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. And the bishop showed Jean Valjean mercy. What about God's mercy, though? Well, it's the same idea, but it's magnified to biblical proportions. One Bible scholar put it like this, if the grace of God contemplates man as guilty before God and therefore in need of forgiveness, the mercy of God contemplates him as one who is bearing the consequences of sin, who is in a pitiable condition, and who therefore needs divine help. It may be defined as the goodness or love of God shown to those who are in misery or distress, irrespective of what they deserve. In other words, God's mercy is when God shows us love and compassion and goodness and kindness when we deserve something completely different. Now, I know the last year has been incredibly hard, probably for most of us. There's been all sorts of challenges all sorts of difficulties, but sadly, the stress, anxiety, fear, despair, and tension, and brokenness that we've all experienced, it's fundamentally the result of our inability to do things God's way, in, unable to do things the way the creator of the world has designed his world to work. Instead, we want to run our world our own way. So we don't do things God's way. We don't love God with everything we are. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves. And I think this is exactly why the pandemic has been so hard. But that's a discussion for another time. But this is, it's something humanity has always struggled with, though, isn't it? The desire to take God's throne from him, to make the rules. We've always wanted to do things our own way ever since Eden. And so we shouldn't be surprised when God leaves us to the consequences of our sin. 
excuse me. But when we experience good things, when we experience relief or joy or peace or rest or a way out of suffering, well, that's God's mercy at work. He's not obliged to do those things for us, but he does. He shows us grace and mercy. And he does that even to those who don't recognize it. That's how deep the mercy of God runs. An old church minister once said, every time you draw breath, you suck in mercy. And thank God that he does show us mercy from time to time, otherwise life would be completely unbearable. But there's one way in which God shows his mercy to us above all else, and it's in the manger at Bethlehem. As the title this morning says, it's a manger full of mercy. And it's a mercy which addresses our very deepest needs. And this is the mercy that Mary sings about in her song. So let's look at Mary's song, and I want to do it over four headings, because the song itself kind of fits into four very neat verses. And each of these four verses have something to tell us about God's mercy shown in Jesus Christ. The first thing to notice is that it's a personal mercy. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So notice how God's mercy is incredibly personal. Mary rejoices in God, my Savior. She recognizes that he's met her in her very own unique life situation. Friends, the mercy that he shows, that God shows in and through the Lord Jesus Christ for you is tailor-made just for you. It's for you right now where you're at. God knows you. He knows your, your wildest dreams, your darkest thoughts, and your deepest sins. But he's still a personal God who wants to show you mercy, to treat you far better than your sins deserve. What made Mary deserving of God's mercy, much, much less to be the earthly mother of God's son? Well, absolutely nothing. Mary was a nobody in her society. And yet, God shows his goodness to this humble peasant girl. God, God's mercy in Jesus Christ is a mercy that's tailor-made just for you, wherever you are and whoever you are. That's the first point. And they're all peas this morning, just to make it easy to remember. The second thing after a personal mercy is that it's a pervading mercy as well. Verse 48. Pervade, of course, means to spread. And it's not as though this mercy of God shown in Jesus is available just to some parts of society and not others. Or it's only something that's good for religious people and not for those who really don't, can't be bothered. For in the next part of her song, Mary widens the view. She says, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. It's a reminder, actually, of a promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis 12 at the beginning of the Bible. Good reminder that God keeps his word all the way through. We'll talk about that in a moment. But God promised Abraham that he would bless the world through Abraham's descendants. And of course, Jesus himself is perhaps the most important descendant of Abraham. God's mercy in Jesus is for all people, in all time, everywhere. Jesus may have been born a Jew, but his death pays for the sins of human beings throughout the world, throughout history, even Australians sitting here in 2022. So personal mercy, a pervading mercy... Thirdly, a particular mercy, because the next part of the song, it does change key a little bit and gives us a warning about God's mercy as well, and it's a warning that's anticipated at the end of verse 50. 
where Mary says, his mercy is for those who fear him. God's mercy is for all, but it does require the right attitude towards God. So verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate, and he's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Of course, we we live in a world of the self-made man and the self-made woman, and the idea that we fall short before God, that we're incapable of saving ourselves, that we actually need God to show us mercy, it can sound like a bit of an insult, can't it? That we're not good enough in some way. But Mary makes it very clear, no one will stand before God in their own greatness. What does he do with the proud? Well, he, he scatters them. What does he do with the mighty? Well, he dethrones them. What does he do with the rich? Well, he sends them away empty-handed and hungry. It's because none of these things impresses God. No amount of power and wealth impresses God. How did God's promised rescuer and king come into the world? As a royal heir of some mighty empire, a warrior king? Of, Of course not. As a baby born to poor, oppressed people under a borrowed roof. So Mary tells us the right attitude before God to be humble, to admit our need of him. I mean, have you, I mean, who who opened Christmas gifts this morning? Anyone? Yep, a few people opened Christmas gifts. We opened ours last night. I wonder, have you ever opened a Christmas gift and thought, oh, wow, you know, I really, really don't deserve this? I think it's rare. Some nervous chuckles there. Yeah, I'm... Exactly. Because we all feel deep down, yeah, this is, this is something I deserve. This is something I really deserve. The kind of attitude, though, where we enjoy God's mercy in Jesus is one we recognize where we don't deserve this at all. It's just too good for us. Because that's, in fact, what mercy is. Jesus won't mean anything to us unless we actually humble ourselves and realize how much we need him. And, of course, this mercy comes with a promise The promise is that the humble will be lifted up. We don't lift ourselves up. We trust ourselves to God who will lift us up. To the hungry, God will feed us. In other words, to experience and enjoy God's mercy, we need to come humble and we need to come hungry, friends. So, a personal mercy, a pervading mercy, a particular mercy, and now, fourthly, a promised mercy. Can we trust this mercy? I mean... We've all heard of overpromising and underdelivering. I think the last decade has shown countless examples of people trusting their money to banks and then losing everything when a bank breaks that trust. Uh, remember crypto? Uh, remember record low interest rates? It's hard to trust anything these days, is it? Won't God's mercy be the same? What if we put ourselves at the mercy the Bible talks about, give our whole lives over, but right at the end we find that it can't deliver, that it isn't enough? Well, that's what the fourth section is all about. Verse 54, God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You see, this mercy is also a promised mercy. It's promised by a God who never, ever breaks a promise, who always keeps his word, who can always be trusted, who is always faithful. We can trust and rely on this promise from God. Because he has promised that his mercy will hold true forever. 
You see, Jesus was God's promised king and rescuer, promised all the way through the Old Testament from its first pages, the one who would take the justice that our sins deserve so that we could be reconciled to our creator. And of course, this is good news because it means that the mercy we receive doesn't rest on us. We may still fall and fail, but because God is a God who keeps promises, he will remain merciful towards those who trust Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. Well, it's been quite a year, and in our sin, in our struggles, in our suffering, God shows his mercy to us nowhere else than in, well, many other ways, but particularly in the manger at Bethlehem. It's in the manger at Bethlehem where God doesn't just withhold what we deserve, but he actually gives us far more than we deserve. Jesus embodies God's undeserved kindness and love towards us to secure a hopeful future with him forever. Because, of course, that baby would grow up to be the Savior on the cross who would die for the sins of the world. Last night, as we were opening presents, we read John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He gives us this gift to secure a hopeful future with him forever, a future which allows us to raise our eyes above the now, all its challenges and difficulties, and as the old hymn says, have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. The question, of course, is what to do with this mercy. Well, Mary answers that question for us in her song. Because, of course, we have the freedom to reject God's mercy, to say, I don't need God's pity, I don't need Jesus, I'm quite all right, thank you, but remember what the song says, God will send the proud away, he will scatter them, he will bring down the mighty, he will send the rich away empty-handed. Or you could follow Mary's example and worship God for his mercy shown to you in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who would live our life and die our death so we could enjoy his reward. The Bible's got this to say about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 4 in the New Testament. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to what we believe. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but in one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So this morning, let me encourage you on this Christmas. Draw near to God. Receive the gift that he has given. Whatever you've suffered and struggled through this year, ask him to show you that mercy he's given to you in Jesus. And you'll find the sweetest, most precious peace you've ever known because you know you're forgiven by God and have a future forever secured with him. And of course, Christmas time is a great time to do that. It's the day we remember the arrival of Jesus in the world, of God's mercy made real. If you'd like to find out more about what it means to receive God's mercy to you in Christ, let me encourage you to chat to a trusted Christian friend. Uh, You're also welcome to come chat to myself after the service. I'd be very happy to help you. Also, God, if you would like um, a couple of little booklets. If you've never thought before about what the Bible says about Jesus, about who Jesus is, why he came, what it means to follow him, um, I've got a gift for you this morning. You can come up to the table here and grab either one of these big books called Christmas Uncut, This is our gift to you today, or a little pamphlet called How to Have a Happy Christmas. And of course, I think all of us would like to have a happy Christmas. 
take this as a little manual for how to do that. But you're welcome to come and grab these afterwards. Come have a chat to me if you'd like. For now, though, how about we pray and we commit ourselves to God together? Let's pray. Father of all mercies, we thank you that you sent Jesus as the fulfillment and embodiment of your mercy to us. Our soul magnifies you this morning, Father. Our spirit rejoices in you, our Savior, for you've looked on us as your servants. Thank you for doing mighty things for us. Holy is your name. Help us this morning to receive your mercy, to recognize how much we need you. Pray that we would come hungry and humble so that we are filled with good things. And help us to trust your promises in Jesus Christ forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, as we move to the end of our service, we're going to